Hey, maybe you have heard the story. Uh, I learned this story this past week, the story of a guy by the name of Christopher Dennis. And uh, Christopher lives uh, in California. He's a Superman impersonator and uh, spends most of his time on Hollywood Boulevard posing uh, with tourists uh, so that they can take their picture or say they've got their picture taken with Superman. Now, it all started when Dennis, uh, who was a struggling actor at the time, struggling actor waiting tables, uh, had a customer tell him that he looked like Christopher Reeves. Uh, now, that's the original actor that played Superman back in the 1980s uh, movie series. And so, uh, Christopher Dennis, what he did is he went out and bought a Superman costume, a cheap one, and started posing with tourists uh, in his spare time. Well, his fascination with Superman uh, really took off. Sorry the pun there. Uh, it soon became an obsession for him, and it eventually uh, took over his life. And as you can see from his small L.A. apartment, it's now filled with, he estimates, around 15,000 pieces of Superman memorabilia. And in 2007, when he got married, uh, he and his wife chose Metropolis, Illinois uh, as the location uh, for their wedding, where they got hitched. And of course, he wore his Superman costume uh, for the big wedding day. Well, unfortunately... Uh, this marriage didn't last. Uh, Christopher Dennis's uh, wife uh, explained, and I quote, she says, if you marry Chris, you marry his collection. There is nothing more important to him than his Superman collection. And so sadly, uh, he's on his own now, but let's face it, saving the universe is lonely work. So, um, but here's the thing, you know, I, I didn't even know this sort of thing uh, existed, this dressing up every day and going out to Hollywood Boulevard to take pictures with tourists. And then I saw this headline too this past week. Uh, check out this headline, which uh, says, Freddy Krueger and Chewbacca breakup fight between Mr. Incredible and Batgirl, all right? Uh, you can imagine that that was just quite a sight uh, there on Hollywood Boulevard. But hey, we're in this series, uh, as we saw just a moment ago, uh, this series called Identity Crisis. And as we get rolling today, you know, I think the question really is, can you take imitation too far? Um, I think it all depends on whom you're trying to to imitate. If you've got a Bible with you, I want to invite you to take it and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, go to the New Testament, about midway through the New Testament, to Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we'll have the verses for you on the screen. I think you'll find some Bibles on the floor uh, around you, or feel free to join us uh, with your smartphone too if you use a Bible app. Uh, we're in the last couple of weeks, the last two weeks of this series called Identity Crisis. Uh, the Apostle Paul is the writer of Ephesians of this letter, and as we've discovered together, and maybe for you on your own, uh, Paul takes the first three chapters of Ephesians uh, to lay a foundation <clears throat> for who we are in Jesus Christ. He wants to first establish our identity or our foundation in Jesus. Uh, chapters 4 through 6, or the second half of this letter, are all about how we live uh, from our identity in Jesus Christ. And so chapter 5, where we are today, is right in the middle of the how we should live part, uh, and that's where we're going to be today. And I think it's just important for us to be reminded that as we read the words of the Apostle Paul here, he's writing to Christians. All right, and, <clears throat> and so if you call yourself a Christian, if you would say you're in Christ, uh, these words are for you, uh, these words are for me uh, and for our church. And so let's pick it up in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, in the ESV here, Paul writes it like this. He says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering 
and sacrifice to God. Now, you think it's hard being Superman, all right? Is it even remotely possible uh, to imitate God? Well, Paul's not telling us to be an imitator of the godlike aspects of God. I mean, after all, you and I can't be everywhere all at once, and we're not all powerful, and we can't know all things. And so why would Scripture, which we believe is from God, it's inspired by Him, I mean, why would the Bible command us to do something that we can't possibly do? Exactly, it wouldn't. It wouldn't do that. Uh, The Greek word here for imitate is the word mimitai. Uh, it's where we get our English word mimic. It means to, to copy closely or to repeat another uh, person's speech, actions, or behavior. And so what Paul is doing is he is challenging you and me, those of us that are in Christ, to get to know God as much as we can so that we can echo His speech and live the way that He wants us to live. Now, again, we might ask, how can we imitate someone that we can't see? That's why we have to look to Jesus. I mean, we've got to look to our Savior, and we've got to study His life. I mean, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so God gave us a perfect example, a perfect model in Jesus. And even though Jesus was fully God, we know from the Scriptures that He became fully human for us too. That means that He faced many of the same things that you and I face in our life each day. It's why the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 says, For this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. And so Jesus became fully human for us so that he could give his life uh, as a perfect sacrifice for our sin. And because he became fully human, we know from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. And so Jesus, he came to the earth and he lived his life on the earth. And he experienced many of the ups and downs of life as we do, yet he was without sin. And so he lived his life so that we, so that you and I could know what it's like and what it means to imitate God. And that's why the disciple John in 1 John chapter 2 verse 6 says that whoever claims, he's talking to followers of Jesus, he says, hey, whoever claims, if you claim to be in Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, he says, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. It's an imperative. All right, we must do this. We must live as Jesus lived. There is no other way. If you're in Christ, if you call yourself a Christian here today, we've got to do the work to live as Jesus did, to live for him for the sake of others at your school right now or the other students on your campus, to to live as Jesus did for your kids and for your nieces and for your nephews, to to live as Jesus did for the sake of your spouse and uh, the people that you work with right now or the people that you live around. I mean, if you're in Christ, if we're in Christ, we are here to imitate Jesus to the rest of the world. And so Paul says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. Now, fortunately, he doesn't leave us uh, to figure all of that out for ourselves. And if you read chapter 5, you'll see how Paul gives us some very specific examples for how we can live uh, for him. Now, I just want to note here that these aren't complete lists, all right, but two lists that offer us examples for those things that we should do, those things that should be very telling about a life, uh, a follower of Jesus Christ. And not only those things that we should do, but Paul also talks about those things that we shouldn't do. 
as imitators of Christ, those things that we should avoid in our life. And so we're going to go through some of these here together. They're in your notes. Uh, if you got one of the message notes cards when you came in today, I want to start with, I want to look at the do not list that Paul outlines for us first. And starting with number one there, Paul is just very clear when he says, as followers of Jesus, as Christians, do not engage in sexual immorality. Look at uh, verse 3. Paul writes, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, I want you to be very clear and hear me when I say that uh, you need to keep in mind that Paul is not talking to the rest of the world. He's talking to Christians. All right, he's talking to Christians then, 2,000 years ago. He's talking to Christians like you and me here today. And right from the start, he calls out sexual immorality, knowing that it was, it was prevalent then and quite a stumbling block for many Christians, just as it is today. And so what did Paul have in mind? What does the Lord have in mind for Christians and for those of us who are in Christ today? He said, don't let there be a hint, even a hint of sexual immorality in your life. And what does that mean? Well, we know and I'm confident that the Bible shows us and instructs us that God's plan for sex is for it to be shared between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. I mean, we know, I, I believe that God created sex and He created it for a husband and a wife to enjoy. And so for Christians, that means that any form of sex outside of the covenant of marriage is sin. And so Paul says, as followers of Jesus... As Christians, don't let there be a hint of sexual immorality in your life. And then he goes on to say he outlines some more general sins, any kind of impurity or of greed. And so that leads us to number two when Paul says don't be greedy. All right, as followers of Jesus, he says you, you can't imitate God and be greedy at the same time. Greedy means desire. All right, I mean, it means wanting what we want and going to any extreme at all to get it. And so Paul says you can't imitate God and be greedy. Uh, be satisfied with what you have. There's no place for greed for those who are in Christ. Uh, number three, he says, do not speak foolishly. Uh, look at Ephesians chapter uh, 5, verse 4 there. He says, nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. You know, my son Luke, uh, he's eight, and he came home from school one day this year, and he told my wife that a boy on the bus told him all of the cuss words in the book. Every single one of them went through the list with him on that short ride uh, from school back to our house. You got to love that. Um, but you know, it's bound to happen at some point. And I just love the response uh, that my wife came up with in that very moment. She said, Luke, uh, your dad and I know every dirty word in the book, all right? And uh, we just choose not to use them. Uh, Paul says here, he says, hey, if you're in Christ, watch your talk, be careful. Be careful of those words that come out of your mouth and the things that you choose to say and participating in because people are watching and people are listening and they're going to make conclusions about you and what you do and about what you believe by what you say and what you do. I mean, it's like what Jesus says in the Gospel of Luke when he says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Basically, that what comes out of your mouth has a lot to say about what's going on in your heart. And so if you're here this morning and it is your absolute desire to live for the Lord, well, do you want to live your life for God? Do you want others to see that in you? Paul would say, as imitators of God, be careful of the words you choose. 
Be careful of the things that you speak or the things that you write or the things that you post on social media. Be careful of the jokes that you tell or the conversations that you participate in. Because if you're in Christ, you and I, we've got a greater audience than we possibly realize. And so if your language is a challenge for you, if gossip is a challenge for you, you might consider what's going on in your heart. And, and if you see that as a real stumbling block for you right now in your life, ask God to give you the ability. Ask Him to give you the wisdom and the self-control to choose better words and to make the most uh, of your interactions with others. He continues on in verse 5. He says, For this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so... Does this mean that if you've ever stumbled, uh, if you've ever failed in your life, if you're not living a perfect life, then you're out? I hope not, all right? Otherwise, I think we're all probably in trouble. I mean, Paul's not suggesting that these sins are unforgivable, but what he is saying is that if we're not careful, and, and then if we're not intentional about the way that we live, if we're not intentional about our relationship with the Lord, we're going to slip. And if we don't watch ourselves, what we'll find is we'll just start blending in with others maybe more than we'd like to, and he just says, as a Christian, we can't live like that. And we're going to see just a moment that there's an urgency to our life and to our living and to our time in this world because we're reminded as followers of Jesus that Jesus died for our sins, all right, that he changed things. And that means that if you're in Christ, I mean, all of your sins, past, present, and future have been accounted for. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect, all right, at least as the world defines perfect. And it doesn't mean that we're not going to mess up and that we're not going to make some mistakes uh, throughout life. But as Christians, we just want to be sure. As a church, we just want to be sure that people see uh, what is important to us. And what is important to us uh, is that we're in Christ. I mean, what makes us different is not that we're better than anyone else, but what makes us different is that we have a Savior. And we have a Savior. Uh, who went to the cross and paid the price for sins. And with his death, he made a way. He made a way for, for life here on earth and for the life that is to come. And I don't know about you, but, but I want people to see Jesus in me. I, I want people to see that hope that I have in my life. I, see, I want people to see his work in me and, and the hope that I have in him. And I know that many of you want that too. And you want to make that difference uh, for the people that are around you. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants. That's what he wants for his friends in Ephesus and for other Christians at this time living in the Mediterranean world. And he wants the same uh, for each of us. And so he says, he reminds us, don't speak foolishly. Uh, choose your words and your conversations carefully. Number four, he also says, do not deal in darkness. Uh, skip over to verse 11. He says, have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It, it's kind of like this. If you plant a fruit tree in your yard, there's going to come a point where you're going to expect fruit, all right? You're going to want fruit uh, to come from that tree. And if it goes fruitless year after year, then you know that you have a problem. It's not, it's not growing right. And so Paul doesn't tell us specifically what these deeds of darkness are, but what he does is he calls these deeds of darkness fruitless, all right? They're not bearing fruit. And uh, you can read for yourself later on over in Galatians, Paul describes the kind of fruit that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in our lives. Uh, it's the fruit of love. He wants to see that in his people. He wants to produce joy in you and patience in you and, and kindness in you and goodness and, and faithfulness and self-control. Now, that means that anything uh, that we're pursuing that's not producing one or more of these fruits in us would represent what Paul calls fruitless. 
All right, these things aren't nearly as important. So Paul says, don't do these things. Don't, don't waste your life in these activities or in these things. Don't participate in or engage or waste your life with things God can't use. Because Paul says, imitators of God bear fruit. And we bear fruit and we allow the Lord to do even greater things through us. Number five, Paul says, do not get drunk. I mean, if you want to know a little bit about what the Bible uh, has to say for us uh, when it comes to alcohol and for Christians, here it is. And notice he doesn't say don't drink, right? But verse 18, Paul writes, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul is basically saying don't forfeit your self-control. Don't put yourself in situations where you have no self-control. And I think he'd say, I think he'd say to us, if he were here today, I think he'd say be careful. Be careful to get to a place in your life where you become so dependent on something like alcohol or drugs to get you through uh, or to turn your day around. I mean, think about it. I mean, this isn't rocket science, all right? I mean, if you've ever struggled with alcohol or if you have people in your life or in your family that you love that have struggled with alcohol or drugs, I mean, you know how powerful and how destructive it really can be. I mean, seriously, when was the last time you ever heard someone say, you know, my life was really spinning out of control, but then I turned to alcohol and it really straightened things up for me, right? It, it doesn't happen like that. And so Paul says, just be careful. I mean, don't put yourself in, in situations where you can't control what you do or say. Again, don't let something like alcohol or drugs control your life, but be under God's control. Let Him control your life. Let Him be the only one or the only thing that rules over you. And, and so Paul offers these do nots. And, and again, they're not just here in chapter 5. I mean, he's really continuing uh, from what he's already talked about in chapter 4. If you've been reading through Ephesians with us, you probably saw that, uh, where he described the difference between old self-living, uh, a life apart from Christ, and, and new self-living. That means our life in Christ. He explains how there's an old way of living, again, a way apart from Christ, but there's this new way of living, uh, this new self in Christ that we should all uh, strive uh, to achieve. And so um, we've looked briefly at an abbreviated list of what Paul says not to do as followers of Jesus, but that's not the highlight of this particular section in Ephesians. In fact, the second list, uh, Paul highlights the list of should do's. I mean, this is the new self stuff, and Paul says, hey, this is what imitators of God should be known for. Let's not just be known by what we're against, but let's be known what we're for because this kind of living gets the world's attention. And so, if, again, if you're following along with us in your notes, Paul says, as Christians, as imitators of God, the first thing is this, to walk in love, to always walk in love. Look at uh, Ephesians 5, 2 again, and he says, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Paul says, hey, Jesus gave his life for us. How about we give our lives for him? He gave his life on the cross for us. How about we turn around now and we give our lives for him on this earth and to walk in the way of love and to love people as Jesus loved? I mean, it's like what we said a couple of weeks ago, that in your life and in the people that you come in contact with, you've never met a person whom Jesus didn't die for. I mean, you've never looked in the eye of someone else that isn't loved by God. And last week we talked about forgiveness, and um, our campus pastor, Ben, challenged us uh, to think about that one person in your life, maybe that one person that you would say, you know what, I can't forgive. And, and for some people, um, you know that that's a really difficult uh, thing to even think about. And you may think that there is no way that you could ever forgive so-and-so, but remember, uh, Jesus didn't feel that way about you. 
He didn't feel that way about you. And in spite of what you've done, and in spite of what I've done, He died for us. And now He's asking us, He's encouraging us to walk in love as He did. I, I love an example that I came across this past week. Uh, Erica Frogner uh, is a part of the Genesis family, and she's led worship here in the past and uh, works for crew ministry and recently relocated with her uh, ministry team out to the East Coast. And I was reading her update uh, that she sent to our church the other day when I came across this example, just a great example of what it means to walk in love and how it can mean so much for the people around us. And uh, she writes it like this. She says, last week was another tragic time for the students and faculty at MIT University as they mourn the loss of a sophomore. Now get this, one of three graduate students and one professor who have passed away from suicide since March. This is on MIT's campus. She writes, since then, Students and faculty have come together through a campaign that we started, her ministry team started, called Love Out Loud, a daily challenge to promote love on our campus. And she went on to explain how as Christians they just hope to walk in love. Their desire is to walk in love and to demonstrate the love and compassion of Jesus to the students and faculty of that campus that they feel called to serve. And so Paul says, in everything that you do, walk in love, be known for, for being a person of love. And then he goes on to say, uh, number two here, live as children of light. Uh, skip over to verse 8. He says, for you were once darkness. Again, uh, before Christ, you were the old self. He says, but now you are the light in the Lord. You are this new self in Christ. And so he says, live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. How many of you uh, witnessed the lunar eclipse a couple of weeks ago? I think they called it a blood moon uh, that happened between 5.30 and 7.30 in the morning. And I know that for some of you, you're just out when you hear anything before uh, 7 or 7.30 maybe. But it was really cool. It was a perfect night, a very clear night. It was just so cool uh, to see the moon go dark uh, and then to become very bright again. Well, in much same way or in a much greater way, awesome things happen when Christians, when followers of Jesus, when the church shines the light of Jesus uh, in our community and in our world. And that's what these Christians are trying to do on MIT's campus. And that's the opportunity we have as followers of Jesus right here in Noblesville and Anderson and and in other places right here around central Indiana. I mean, when we walk in love and live, live as children of light, we're helping people find their way back to God. Next, Paul challenges us to walk as the wise. Uh, skip over to verse 15. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as, as wise, making the most of every opportunity uh, because the days are evil. My uh, family, <clears throat> we spent a week together in Arkansas this past summer, and I just had some great outdoor experiences there. We were able to take our kids canoeing uh, one day on the Buffalo River, which is just fascinating sight and uh, so fun to float along in the water for an entire afternoon. And uh, we came up to this place. The, the, the cliffs were really high where a bunch of the canoes had pulled off because different people were climbing up the rocks. Uh, to these different points and then jumping off. And so we pulled off for a little bit just to watch. And uh, this one young guy climbed to, I'm going to guess, 60, maybe 75 feet uh, to this very narrow ledge, turned around backwards, and then did a double flip off of the cliff into this dark water that you could only hope uh, was deep enough. Now, 
with young kids, especially two young boys. Mom and dad saw this as a teaching moment uh, to help remind them that there's a difference between wise living and unwise living. Now, we often refer to it as kind of a hashtag DBD, and that is don't be dumb, just a great rule of life and everything that you do, hashtag DBD, don't be dumb. And so this was a DBD uh, sort of a moment of encouraging our kids towards wise living. And you know what? There are many places in the Bible where there's this distinct difference drawn between foolish living and wise living. Uh, For instance, the Bible says things like the wise will inherit honor and that fools get shame. Uh, Or there's this other verse that says a wise son brings joy to his father, but a fool brings grief to his mother. You see, you're going to have a hard time finding places in Scripture where the fool gains. And so Paul says, don't be a fool, all right, because a foolish person has no strategy for life. But he says, be wise, discern what pleases God in everything that you do and try to live that way. And uh, just going on again into verse 16, uh, Paul says, make the most of every opportunity that you have because the days are evil. Paul says the days are evil, and he's not just being a doom and gloom sort of a guy here, but this is Paul's way of highlighting a couple of things. Uh, First, he knows that there is the potential and the presence of evil all around us, even today, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more next week, but also he's just trying to create in us this sense of urgency. I mean, Paul knows that Jesus is coming back, and that until he does, you and I have been given the responsibility to help point others towards Jesus. And that's why our mission as a church is helping people find their way back to God. And how do we earn the right to help people find their way back to God? We do what Paul says. We do what Jesus said and did. We walk in love. We just keep walking in love and we live as children of light. And we live our lives in such a way that people look to us and they look to our church and they respect us and they're moved and they're touched by our compassion and our concern for them. And so we do, as Paul do, when we make the most of every opportunity. Because here's the thing. There are people in your life right now that God has put in your life for a reason. Where you live is not an accident. Your campus and your school and the students you're around, it's no accident. Uh, The people on your street, it's not an, an accident. And so live your life in a way that encourages them. Be compassionate and loving in everything that you do. Pray for the people around you. Serve the people that God has put in your life and always be prepared to share what God is doing in you and give people a reason to see why you live your life with such passion and and such purpose and hope. And that's going to happen best when we're number five, filled with the Spirit. We are just filled up with the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled up by the Spirit instead. In other words, don't drink too much of the spirits, all right? But instead, let the Spirit of God rule over your life. And here's what's interesting about this command uh, to me, that, that the truth is, the fact is that you and I, you can't fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit. I, I can't do that. I mean, in other words, you know, we can't do this on our own, but, but what we can do is we can become so dependent on God and, and make even greater room uh, for, his, for Him to do His very best uh, in our lives. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Uh, if you read Jesus' life, if you study the life of Jesus, He was absolutely dependent on the Holy Spirit in Him. And as He grew, His dependence on God and on the Spirit increased, uh, and God's work in His life increased too. And do you know what? The same is true for you and me as we live our lives for Him. I mean, the same Spirit and power at work in Jesus Christ is the same Spirit that is in those of you that would say that you're here today and that you're in Christ. 
And so that means that God can give you the strength, just like he did with Jesus, to live for him so that you can make an even greater impact and a difference for him in this world. And, and if you're not a Christian, I mean, this is, this is the one command that you need to take so seriously because here's the truth, and the truth is that God wants to put his spirit in you. He wants to put his presence in your life. But that's not going to happen until you admit that you need God and, and seek his forgiveness for your life. God sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you, uh, to die on the cross for you. He paid the price with his life for your sin. And, and if you've never acknowledged that gift in your life before, you can do that today. Uh, you can do that. You can pray. You can invite him in. You can just pray something like, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me and fill me with your presence uh, in my life today. And if you pray to him, he will respond and he'll come into your life and your life will never be the same and as he's available to you. A couple of more things that Paul encourages us to do. He says, as imitators of God, sing in passionate worship. Now, for those of you that hate to sing, don't check out. Hang with me here for a second. Uh, look what he says in verse 19, the second half. He says, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs uh, from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. And that doesn't mean that we turn this into a sound of music sort of experience as we walk uh, throughout the building, because that would be weird. Uh, but one of the things that we're very passionate about at Genesis Church is worship. And if you're not a Christian, um, I know that standing and singing uh, might seem a little odd to you. Uh, if you. Even if you are a Christian, maybe you call yourself a new Christian. Christian, it might seem a little weird to you to sing to someone that you can't see. But the truth is that worship and music will never make sense, will never completely make sense to you until you get desperate to know the one, uh, the one we worship, and, and just the life-changing benefits of having a relationship with him. I, I told you about Erica Frogner. Um, there's another couple, uh, Carl and Daniel Gidley, uh, who we support financially as a church, and they're currently serving uh, with a ministry at Harvard University, again, out on the East Coast. And we got an update from them uh, recently. I was reading this past week where they just talked about a fall retreat they were coming off of uh, with 30 students from the campus. And, and one student in particular uh, who attended the retreat was a young woman uh, they called Jamie. And uh, in the Gidley's update, they included some of the comments that Jamie made uh, following her experience on this retreat. And one of the most powerful moments for this young woman was watching her fellow students worship God through singing. And she just noted and she just described in this update how she was intrigued by these students as they sang and they sang with such passion. And it was from that experience that she concluded that I know and believe that at least they know that God is very real and that you can have a relationship with him. And so just one more example of how the Gidleys and other Christians at Harvard are making a difference for others to see. And one difference that they're making is through their singing and through their passionate worship. See, you can make a difference in your life uh, for others at Genesis uh, through your singing and through your worship. And uh, Paul challenges us to worship passionately. And for some of you, this may come very easily. Uh, for others of you, this could be an area that you really struggle in. And if you do, pray and ask the Lord. Uh, help him, ask Him to help you to see. Ask Him to give you a desire to worship. And when you do, feel free to sing out, even if you don't have a good voice. Uh, sing out with us and raise your hands 
uh, if that sort of response feels right to you. And uh, you'll notice that we didn't start our, our service with worship today, but that's because we're going to end our service uh, with worship in just a moment. And as we do, let's sing passionately uh, to the one who gave his life for us. And as we sing, let's just have an attitude of thanksgiving too. And that's what Paul wants us to do in our life and in our living and in our worship uh, and in all of our uh, circumstances outside of this building throughout the week. Uh, number seven there, he says, give thanks. In everything that you do, give thanks. Verse 20 says, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's that one thing that distinguishes someone who is imitating God and another who's just going through the motions of life? Paul says, imitators of God live with this ongoing attitude of thanksgiving. We just live our lives. We're just seeping with gratitude no matter how much or how little we have. We give thanks to God. It's why the psalmist could write in Psalm 100 verses 4 and 5, he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever and his faithfulness continues through all generations. Can we do that? Can we do that this morning as we sing and as we give thanks to our Lord? Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we, uh, we thank you for these words. We know, Lord, that they're ultimately from you uh, and that you use the Apostle Paul uh, to share them with a group of people uh, that were trying to find their way in this world as Christians nearly 2,000 years ago. But because your word is living and active, we know uh, that it is endless and that not only did you have it in mind for the people then, but you have these words in mind for us today. And so I pray that through the power and the presence of your spirit that you would work on each of us today. Uh, in seeing those things that maybe are present in our lives right now, those things that, that, that could change and that need to change and by your strength can change, Lord, uh, so that we can make your name famous in this world. But I pray also today, Father, that you would encourage us in how we should live and what it means to model you and to model your son and to model love and light and hope and thanksgiving and forgiveness and potential and possibilities and life change through the name and the presence of Jesus. God, lead us and guide us and show us the way. May your spirit and your presence in us be great so that others that you've put around us in our lives right now, that they may see and know and hope and experience the same love that we do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> hey, before we sing, uh, there's this great story in Acts chapter 4 uh, about two disciples, uh, Peter and John. And not long after Jesus had ascended into heaven, uh, Peter and John were arrested and ordered to stand questioning uh, before the Jewish, Jewish ruling body at the time, the Sanhedrin. And uh, it was a very dangerous situation as uh, Peter and John uh, knew that these religious leaders were threatening their lives and could take their lives. But in spite of that, uh, they courageously shared their story and about, talked about how Jesus ha had changed them. And while they weren't able to change the opinion of these leaders, at least from what we can tell, uh, through their faith and their love and their courage and their testimony, uh, they impacted some that day. Luke records the events this day, on this particular day in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. He says, when they, that is these religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. 
I don't know about you, but that's what I want people to say about me and my life. I want them to be able to tell that I've been with Jesus. You want the same for your life too? Let's make that our prayer, that others would see that in us, that we've been, that we're living for Jesus.